the king did not know then that his greatest love would also be his ruination, nor that either would come in the form of a tiny, helpless human child. Hello, and welcome to Bestseller, where we read and rate the latest books on the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara. And I'm Brian. In today's special episode, we're reviewing not one bestseller, but an entire year of bestsellers, 2023, the year just passed. I opened this episode by reading the beginning of Caressa Broadbent's new fantasy novel, The Serpent and the Wings of Night, described by Amazon as Hunger Games meets Vampires. Because any story is improved by adding vampires. <laughs> Serpent and the Wings of Night has the distinction of being the last book to make the New York Times hardcover fiction list in 2023, coming in at number nine on the December 24th list. We are recording this in early January, just after Hollywood's award season revolution up with last week's Golden Globes, which, by the way, included a nomination for the miniseries Lessons in Chemistry, based, of course, on the Bonnie Garmus book, rather prominent on the bestseller list last year. Ooh, did it win? Uh, no, the best the Netflix series Beef, about a road rage incident that escalates out of control, that one uh, won. So, not to be outdone by the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the... Uh, the Oscars? Yeah, that one too. We are inaugurating our own annual awards show. To be called? The Besties! Clever. Well, you came up with it. <laughs> These things write themselves. <laughs> so, our award show, The Besties will include naturally categories like best-selling book of the year, best book of the year, not necessarily the same thing, mm -hmm. best social media response, you know, the kind of big awards that everyone's always talking about. Uh, everyone's talking about? Well, that everyone will be talking about in a few years when the besties is as big as the Oscars. Of course. Even the Academy Awards started out small and unassuming. Speaking of which, can you name the very first best picture winner? Wasn't it that silent film about World War One Wings or something? Bzz. Trick question. Yes, Wings won what was then called the Outstanding Picture, but Sunrise won for Best Unique and Artistic Feature. Yeah, trick questions are annoying and uncalled for. Mm, let me write that down. First <laughs> New Year's resolution for 2024, no more trick questions. Yeah, we'll see how long that one lasts. Second resolution, don't lose this list. So we'll get to bestseller of the year and best book of the year next episode. Today we're covering the smaller awards. So this episode is like the private backroom event before the big public bash next week. <laughs> what are the awards this week? We have eight awards to give out today, falling into just two categories, best opening line and best cover design. Small, perhaps, but just as deserving of consideration as the big ones next week. And just as fun to talk about. So let's start. Okay. There were 191 different books that made the New York Times hardcover fiction list in the course of 2023. All of them are in consideration for these awards. Automatically qualify. Right. And we looked at all of them when we were choosing our top three in each award category. It wasn't that hard. All the opening lines are available online easily because each book is listed on Amazon and Amazon has a feature called Read Sample. 
that always starts with the first few pages. Same with cover design. You can see it right there on Amazon. So let's start with best opening line. Why is that important? Okay, so this is the author's chance to grab you and pull you in. It's your first chance to get a sense of how he or she writes, maybe a little bit about what the book is about or the main character. Also a chance for the author to show off a little bit. This is where grip and grab actually starts. Yeah, and it's emphasized really strongly in the industry. Everybody knows that the opening line, the opening paragraph, and the opening page are as important as the rest of the book combined. So you can trust usually that they're putting, you know, some thought and attention and work into it. So if they don't do good on that, you can't trust the rest. Right. One more thing about opening line. It's a place where they can show off a little bit. Mm. They can be a little artistic. Flex their creative wings. Well, think about it. Once the story gets started, you're kind of like, I want the story to keep going. I don't want to see all this artsy stuff. It's like the movies that we watch, we often notice. Yeah, the opening shots are the most artistic. Yeah, because then they then they want to focus on the storytelling. Uh, the opening line is a good place to look for a little bit of their flair as well, or a lot of their flair. So Got the it. opening line is key. And what are the awards in this category? We have four of them. Two regular awards, best opening line and worst opening line. So that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, and two honorary awards, the Herman Melville and the Paul Clifford. So So how about if we start with the Herman Melville? What's that award about? That's the honorary bestie bestowed in recognition of the opening line most in spirit of Melville's iconic opener to Moby Dick. Call me Ishmael. The most well-known opening line in literature. And perhaps the only line you remember from Moby Dick. (laughs) Maybe the only line you actually read. (laughs) What does it mean to be in the spirit of that line? It means it's a line that starts your book out simply by naming the main character, not even telling us what he or she is doing, just naming them. Did we decide to recognize the best or the worst of those? Either. The award goes to the most outstanding Call Me Ishmael-like opener, whether it's outstandingly bad or good. And we do have three nominees. Yes, but before we get to those, we should discuss the special case of Janet Ivanovich. Oh, right. We decided to exclude her from consideration for the Herman Melville, at least for this year, simply because she's the undisputable master of this art form. Every Stephanie Plum novel starts with a variation on it. Right. This year's Stephanie Plum novel, Dirty 30. Which we reviewed last episode. Starts with the opening two lines, I'm Stephanie Plum, Jersey Girl. Last year's novel, Going Rogue, started with, My name is Stephanie Plum. She's done 30 of these, I believe. So putting her up against our other best-selling authors would be like, I don't know, bringing a major league all-star onto your kid's t-ball team. Not a good idea. We were not going to do that. Okay, so other than Janet Ivanovich, what are our top three Melville Award candidates? Okay, in no particular order, we have Nicholas Sparks from his book Dreamland. Here's how he opens. Let me tell you who I am. My name is Colby Mills. I'm 25 years old and I'm sitting in a strappy fold-out chair on St. Pete Beach, Florida on a beautiful Saturday in mid-May. Second is Samantha Shannon in A Day of Fallen Night. Her name was Dumai, from an ancient word for a dream that ends too soon. Again, in no particular order, our third candidate is Gabriel Zevin's opener from her novel, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which we reviewed, to, not tomorrow, last year. Right. <laughs> so this is, this is all one sentence, okay? I'm going to give it a shot. You ready? Yeah. Before Mazer invented himself as Mazer, he was Samson Mazer, M-A-Z-E-R. And before he was Samson Mazer, he was Samson Mazer, M-A-S-U-R. 
a change of two letters that transformed him from a nice, ostensibly Jewish boy to a professional builder of worlds. And for most of his youth, he was Sam, S-A-M, on the Hall of Fame of his grandfather's Donkey Kong machine, but mainly Sam. (laughs) Okay, so Nicholas Sparks, let me tell you who I am. My name is Colby Mills, Samantha Shannon, her name was Dumai, and Gabriel Zevin, before Mazur invented himself as Mazur, he was, and on and on. Right, those are the three. And the bestie goes to... Gabriel Zevin! Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow! Okay, so... (laughs) So I just thought that the Mazer example and the the whole meditation and drilling down on the spelling of the Mazer turned into Mazer and when he was was ostensibly and then he was just SAM on the Hall of Fame for his Donkey Kong machine. I don't know. I just felt like that was a, it was just a great example of really drilling down on that guy's name. It was a kind of a tour de force. And (laughs) I'll just be frank with you. I don't know if I like it or not, (laughs) but it is the most impressive opening just reflecting on a name that we saw. So I agree. So Gabriel Zevin gets the inaugural bestie, the Herman and Melville Honorary Award, most in the spirit of Call Me Ishmael. All right. So our next award is the Paul Clifford, which is what? Okay. I don't expect you to know this or anybody. This is a little obscure. Paul Clifford is the name of the 1830 novel by Edward Bulwer-Lytton that includes the most iconically bad opening line in literary history. Wait, let me guess. It was a dark and stormy night. Yes. <laughs> Everybody knows that one. So we didn't want to call it the Bulwer-Lytton Award because there's already a contest with that name in which people submit mockingly bad variations on the it was a dark and stormy night theme, you know, trying to be funny. Right. Whereas our nominees for the Paul Clifford Award are not trying to be funny. These are actual lines from actual novels that made the bestseller list 2023. So what counts as being in the spirit of it was a dark and stormy night? Okay, so ideally, we're looking for lines that talk about the weather and nothing else. Best or worst of that kind? Kind of like the first award, the most outstanding. Mm. We, we went back and forth about this. I wasn't sure. Let's just pick the most outstanding, whether it's good or bad. Either way, these writers deserve recognition for courage. Mm. They're choosing to start their novels, their first glance someone gets of their writing with the kind of lines that people say to kill time when <laughs> nobody has anything to say, like, but the elevator's stuck, so you have to say something. <laughs> it takes nerve to start your novel with bland observations about the weather. Elevator lines. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So who are the nominees? First nominee, J.D. Robb, opening her recent novel, Payback in Death, with this line. Someone had either kidnapped the son or decided, screw the ransom, and killed it dead. Second is Millie Bobby Brown's novel, 19 Steps, which starts like this. It was a bright Saturday in September that felt as though it was still summer. Okay. And our third contender, C.J. Box from Stormwatch. Late March in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains wasn't yet spring by any means, but there were a growing number of days when spring could be dreamt of. And the bestie goes to... Millie Bobby Brown, 19 Steps. It was a bright Saturday in September. <laughs> okay, the J.D. Rob. Mm. I actually like that line. It's, yeah. And I, in, in fact, I had to read it like three times before I realized it was about the weather. Mm. It's, a, it's a very strange but compelling line. So I didn't think it's really in the spirit of it was a dark and stormy night. 
And the C.J. Box, we that was actually a book that we reviewed last year. This novel was all about the storm that was coming. So it wasn't just it, about the weather. It was not also, just yeah. he's not just time filling. This is that's what the book is about. Where I have to read Millie Bobby Brown's line again because it is truly deserving of this recognition. It was a bright Saturday in September that felt as though it was still summer. Yeah, most days in September are still summer. I mean, that is a line that anybody could drop in an elevator. True, true. And I, I think it's uh, appropriate for her to win this award because, do you remember the controversy about this novel? Minor controversy? Refresh. So 19 Steps is a novel by Millie Bobby Brown, who is a young actress. She's 19 years old from mm. England. I don't even remember what show she's in, but she's famous from it. This book was ghostwritten. Mm. It was ghostwritten by somebody named Kathleen McGurl. Okay, that's fine. A lot of celebrities have ghostwriters. The controversy was Kathleen McGurl's name didn't even get on the cover. Why did they make that choice? Got it. So we don't know who wrote the opening line. Why would you open your debut novel with something this insipid? I mean, it is striking how banal that opening line is, isn't it? It is. So our next award is for Worst Opening Line of the Year. All 191 books were considered. Only three made it all the way to the bottom of the heap. So the technical term for the opening words of a text is insipit, which I guess is Latin. Hmm. So we're calling this bestie the insipit insipit, which is fun to say. (laughs) It's sort of like a little tongue twister. Yeah. The whole award is for fun. I hope everyone gets that. Yeah, there is no bad press. All press is good press. Absolutely. So the first nominee for our inaugural Insipid Insipid Award is Geneva Rose, You Shouldn't Have Come Here, which opens with, I didn't want to stop, but when the low fuel light lit up on the dashboard of my car, I knew I had no choice. And our second nominee, well, before reading this one, I should point out it's from Danielle Steele. This is an author who had eight books on the bestseller list last year. Five opening lines from those books ended up in our bottom 10. Yikes. She's a one-woman assembly line for the manufacturer of terrible opening lines. That is remarkable. Yeah, I have a theory that it might be deliberate. She (laughs) likes to write about the rich and powerful in their gated communities, and I'm speculating that she treats her novels as gated communities. Mm. In order to gain admittance, you must get past the guard at the entry, and the guard being an opening line so off-putting that most people turn away without even trying the next line. Wow. She only wants true diehard fans to read on. It's a theory. Anyway, we decided to limit her to just one top three contender. It was tough, but here's the one we picked. It's from The Ball at Versailles. Jane Fairbanks Alexander saw the creamy white envelope sitting on the silver tray on the table in the entrance hall where the part-time housekeeper who came three times a week had put it. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. And our third contender comes from Tom Hanks's debut novel, The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece. A little over five years back, I had a message on my voicemail from one Al McTeer, which I heard as Al McTeer from a number in the 310 area code. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually hard to get that opening line out. Right. And the insipid insipid goes to Geneva Rose. I didn't want to stop, but when the low fuel light lit up on the dashboard of my car, I knew I had no choice. Okay, so before we talk about why that one, <laughs> comments about the other two lines. 
when you read it out, this creamy white envelope in the silver tray on the table in the entrance hall where the part-time housekeeper who came three times a week, like, we have to know that the housekeeper comes three times a week. Like, that's basically, I don't know, it's just, it's sort of um, rich and famous porn, right? Like, <laughs> like we know her book is going to include that, but why do we have to be hit with it over the head the very first line? Although, I mean, that's part of the fantasy, right? Like, I could have a fantasy about a white envelope on a silver tray in the entrance hall. If we had a part-time housekeeper who came three times a week, like, that's worth a fantasy. <laughs> Oh, I get it. That's why she put it in. It's better that she comes in three times a week than just once. Yeah, now you don't have to worry about anything ever being dirty the whole time you're reading. It's it's awkwardly written. It gives me information that turns me off to the book, to be honest. And and the the idea of looking at an envelope, I'm sorry, that's not inherently exciting. But it's creepy white. (laughs) What about the Tom Hanks line? And I feel bad about this inclusion because Tom Hanks is such a great guy, evidently. This is his debut novel, although he's published short stories before. Well, I personally love Tom Hanks, but this was not the most grab-and-grip opening line. Talking about a voicemail from five years back in the 310 area code, I don't know. It doesn't grab. We don't need to know like about the area code or that it was mis- misheard on the machine. So what about Geneva Rose? So we're awarding this the worst opening line of the year. Do tell. The thing that I didn't like about this line was that it indicates a character who has absolutely no agency and will only act when given no choice by external forces. And that's not interesting to me. I want to know what people are motivated to do from the inside, not when they have no choice. It's deadly. It's deadly because we want characters that are able to go up against obstacles. And if we already know in the first sentence of the novel that the f- low fuel light is going to dictate your actions, yeah. what's going to happen when this character is up against real challenges? Putting gas in your car or plugging it in if it's an EV or whatever. Like this is These are very basic level. You have to be able to take care of this kind of thing if you're going to be a character in a book. I well, don't know. That's it, just me. If, if she's not in an emergency situation, then it's just a, a rather boring opening. If she's in a crisis, like she's fleeing from somebody chasing her, then she shouldn't stop because the low fuel light comes on. (laughs) I guess that's right. But we don't know because it's the first line. So that's a disastrous opener. All right. So and now it's time for one of the most exciting besties, the award for best opening line. Yes. Nicknamed the You Had Me at Hello Award. We're looking for opening lines so compelling you cannot help but continue. You might be standing at the shelves in the bookstore, but once you read that opener, you just have to find a seat and keep reading. Or just read it right there, unaware you're still standing. So this one we're going to present a little differently. Instead of giving all three contenders and then naming the winner, we're just going to count down our top three. So starting with our pick for the third best opening line in a 2023 fiction bestseller, we have Barbara Kingsolver, Demon Copperhead. Care to read it? Here it is. First, I got myself born. Yeah, that's a stunner. That's just great. Okay, so there's a lot to say about this. Yes. First of all, we already know the Demon Copperhead is playing on David Copperfield. And those 19th century novels always start with birth Mm. like that. So we got that. Secondly, she's got the she's got the vernacular going already. Right. I got myself born. Third, it's so arresting because people don't get themselves born. They are born. Right. So I'm already like, what? 
So there's so much going on just with those few words that it really it's really a great opening line. Plus, I mean, the way that it connects with the whole rest of the story, this is one that we reviewed last year. And part of what the exercise was trying to figure out what went wrong with his life. And so the very first line is where it all started, the trouble started from the right. very moment that he began. So it, I'm, honestly, it did help that we knew the book already and picking this as a great opening line. Of course. We don't always know that for these. Some of them are reading the line and not the book. Uh, but it all comes together for this line. It's great. Our runner-up, the second best opening line, is Bonnie Garmus, Lessons in Chemistry. Now, this is a long one, and you read it at the top of our episode reviewing that book, but do you mind if I take a crack at it? Take a crack at it. Okay. Again, everybody listening should remember, this is actually one sentence. (laughs) Here we go. Back in 1961, when women wore shirtwaist dresses and joined garden clubs and drove legions of children around in seatbeltless cars without giving it a second thought— Back before anyone knew there'd even be a 60s movement, much less one that its participants would spend the next 60 years chronicling. Back when the big wars were over and the secret wars had just begun and people were starting to think fresh and believe everything was possible. The 30-year-old mother of Madeline Zott rose before dawn every morning and felt certain of just one thing. Her life was over. Yeah, that's just... That is great. That's such a great opening. So that's our runner-up. Tell me about your reaction to this. Oh, I I love it as much now as I loved it back then, and I'm glad to have it be in our top three. The way that it captures this era, the way that it describes, it sets you out so much information about what you're about to read, and you're just there. You're right. A lot is happening here. She's giving setting, but we also get character. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a risk to start with a sentence this long. Yeah. Honestly, it's hard to structure a sentence this long and have it be readable, and she succeeded, so she must have worked at it quite hard. Yeah. But then it's not just setting the scene. She's got character at the end in this kind of jolt. Oh, yeah. That, that It's got a punch at the end. She felt certain of just one thing. Her life was over. And you're into the story. You're in. Like, oh, my gosh, all this stuff is happening in the 60s. What about her? High grab and grip. That's a great opening line. Yes. And finally, winner of the best opening line of 2023, Jessamine Ward, Let Us Descend. Congratulations to her. Okay, but we haven't read the line yet. Lay it on us. All right, so here's the line. The first weapon I ever held was my mother's hand. Yeah. That's just... Okay, you talk. Tell me about it. When we we do this exercise, first of all, maybe everyone needs to know a little bit about this exercise. We did read them all and give them a rating, and then you analyzed all of our scores. And when you read this opening line to me, I just, I got goosebumps. Like, that's just such a stark, gripping first sentence. It might, you know, it might win over multiple decades. It's not a book that we'd read before. No. So we didn't know anything about it. I think I vaguely knew that it was something about slavery, but that's it. So for a line to grab you when you don't even know, it's like one of those little flash fiction contest winners. It's like a whole novel packed into a line. Yeah. Because yeah, she's got weapon with mother's hand. It's so jarring. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. It breaks your heart. It breaks one, your heart. Like there's a sentence. story here, but I don't yeah. I don't even know what it is. So that's our that's our winner for the best opening line of 2023. The first weapon I ever held was my mother's hand. Yeah. Because of the enormity of winning this award, I ran out and bought the book. <laughs> I couldn't wait. It was not a book on our shelf. 
And this is what these opening lines are supposed to do, make you want to run out and buy it. So we are going to review this book. It's going to be one of our first reviews of the year. Absolutely. And you might want to run out and buy it. That's the prize. That's the prize for (laughs) such a killer opening line. So let's move on to our second awards category this episode, cover design. Yes, we have four awards here. Best cover design, worst cover design, Mm -hmm. and two special honorary awards. So let's start with the honoraries. Okay, so the first is the Tipper Gore Award for cover most likely to be censored. Tipper Gore. Okay, Tipper Gore... Al Gore probably is more recognizable. He's known for his climate change work. But before that, he was a senator, and then he was vice president to Bill Clinton for eight years. And he ran for president almost one in 2000. His wife was Tipper Gore. I think they're still married, but they're separated. But they were married. And she, like, you know, like many first wives, had her own causes that she worked on. And guess what her main cause was? What was it? Censorship. Oh, Yeah, she got all involved in music, rock, rap, and so on. And she got very concerned in the 80s that there was too many explicit song lyrics out there and she wanted to do something about it. And she started a a group and they wanted to sticker all the CDs. And in fact, the Ramones, the famous punk band, they wrote a song about this called Censor Shit. (laughs) And they actually... They actually name check her in the song. Hey there, Tipper, what's this on my CD or something like that? Oh my gosh, that's funny. So Tipper Gore is the is who we're naming this award after. I did not know any for of that. the book cover most likely to be censored. All right. So who are the nominees? Well, there's just one. Okay. <laughs> that makes it easy to pick the winner. Indeed. So the nominee and winner of the inaugural Tipper Gore Award. Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. And the reason for the award? Well, we've got the covers in front of us. Do you want to dis- describe it or do you want me to? So Covers, like- because in fact, it did get censored. It's a very lovely uh, green cover with some confetti colors and a woman who's holding her hand in front of her face. And, in- and what is in her hand? In the uncensored version, she's giving the middle finger to the looker on... <laughs> The looker on being us. Right, to the audience. And then in the censored version, there's a sticker over her middle finger. Right, so she, and she's got this little smirk on her face as she looks out at us. Mm. And the sticker, of course, is placed right over her middle finger. And the sticker says, I rooted for Grace from the first sentence. Mary Beth Keene, New York Times bestselling author. (laughs) Now, I've seen this book on the shelves, and I've seen it, the cover, on Amazon And it's censored in both appearances. I had to dig around online to find an image of the book cover without the sticker. Did it shock me? No. (laughs) Did it tickle you? Yes. I like the original better than the censored. So would you judge this book by its cover and buy it? Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's a little provocative. Would you buy the censored or uncensored version? Well, if I could find it, I'd buy the uncensored because it may become a collector's if if they're all stickering it. If you and buy, by, the, by sticker, by the way, I mean it's printed. Okay, that's you can't what I was going to ask. Peel it can off. you buy the stickered version and peel it? I'm not sure that you you're, can. You're saying no. I'm sorry to say, and that is. A shame. But I will say one more thing about this. When I was going through the reviews on you know either Amazon or Goodreads, there was somebody who said, "Oh, and why is she giving the middle finger? <laughs> I don't think that's appropriate, and I'm not going to." And yet she's reviewing the book without reading it. Mm. So 
So, yeah, it's a little shocking for some people. I think that we should give credit <laughs> to the publisher for putting something a little bit out there. So there's some moxie. There's your award, Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore Award. Got it. All right. So what's the next special award in cover design? I'm going to call this the Marital Stress Test Award. Whoa. Yeah. This is for the book cover generating the biggest gap in scores between our two judges being myself and... <laughs> and me. Yes. <laughs> So the biggest gap. And this one also just has one candidate, really. There were a lot of covers that I liked and you didn't, or vice versa. But there was only one with a complete split that on a scale of 1 to 10 got a 9 from one of us and a 0 from the other. Which is not even on the scale. Yes. So I doubt no matter how many years we do these awards, we'll ever see a bigger split opinion. All right. So the winner and sole nominee for Marital Stress Test Award in cover design. Hellbent by Lee Bardugo. Jacket design by Keith Hayes. Jacket illustration by Sasha Vinogradova, inspired by Beth Kavanagh. This was a fascinating discussion. I was stunned that this cover that I gave a zero to, mm -hmm. and by the way, we generated our scores independently. Yes. We didn't know. You gave it a nine. So do you want to describe it? I did. So most of these co covers are very colorful. And this one is gray mm. with white, large letters. And there's an image of a rabbit. And the image of the rabbit is very striking. And it some of the rabbit's limbs and um, features are actually coming through the letters in a very artistic way. And I was just struck by this image. I mean, I love animals. I, you and I both love animals. Um, this was one of the first, I think it was the actual first one that we ever reviewed. And because I either listened to it or read it on Kindle, I never saw this image before, before we did this exercise. And I just thought it was so different and so striking mm -hmm. and really arresting. It really grabbed my attention. And I thought that's you know, that's what I was looking for, something that really grabbed my attention. So I gave it a nine. When I read the books, you, you read them on, well, you listen on audio usually. I read them in hardcover, but I take the, the book jacket off right away so it doesn't get dinged up and right. I put it away. So the whole time I was reading this, I didn't have the cover in front of me. So I sort of forgot. Mm -hmm. But then when I got it out and looked at it again, yes, I will give you I will give them credit for the difference in colors than any other book that's out there. It's the, the gray and white really makes it stand out. Mm -hmm. The reason I had such a strongly negative reaction is I have a soft spot for animals. And to me, the rabbit looked like a sacrificial victim. I don't think there's anything showing it on the cover. No. There's nothing like invading this rabbit's body. There's no tools or implements. Something about the way this rabbit is drawn made me think, this is either sacrificial, like in a religious rite, or maybe even in a laboratory. And that's why I had such a strong, like it, it repulsed me. Mm. Artistically, aesthetically, I agree. The cover is very well done. It was only the emotional reaction I had to it that made me give it a, give it a zero. Gotcha. And well, I, I was surprised that you didn't have that reaction as well, because we have similar feelings about animals. Well, we do. But I, what I remember, I mean, part of it might be that I remember that book, and it wasn't animals that were being sacrificed in that book. It was people who were, <laughs> they were fishing around in their guts, as I recall. And that was pretty early on. So Good point. Yeah. So it wasn't animals that were being abused in that book. It was people. So I didn't feel like it necessarily indicated that it was a sacrificial animal. But I it, could see you why know, you would have a negative experience it's, that. it's just a great example of how subjective these things are that was me projecting something onto it sure that you didn't and by the way our marital stress test i think we passed yay <laughs> we didn't have any actual we didn't yeah stress we 
Very good. We just good job on that. <laughs> I'm happy with your nine. And are you happy with my zero? I'm, I accept your zero. Not happy. You just accept it. Okay. <laughs> I don't need you to have any particular number. So the worst book cover of the year. This is the, of course we judge a book by its cover. Doesn't everyone awards? <laughs> we have one for the best and one for the worst. Of course. So before we talk about the worst cover of the year, I would point out two things. One, this is a subjective evaluation, as I was just saying. Yeah, some covers that we hate, others may love. Yeah, and we accept that. And two, cover design is not the responsibility of the author, ever. Very important point. Yes, this responsibility is always tightly claimed by the publisher. So if you do agree with our assessments today about the worst... Blame the publisher, not the author. Exactly. And you can see any of these covers, of course, just by pulling up the book listing on Amazon or any other site. After you pull over to the side of the road, of course. Yeah, or while there's a break in your Zoom meeting. (laughs) So here we go. Our third worst cover of the year goes to... J.D. Robb's Payback and Death. Which, by the way, makes it the only book to have two top three finishes in our awards this year, right? Mm, Right. It was also nominated for the Paul Clifford Award, opening lines about weather. So this cover, this one I really do think is subjective. I don't know why I dislike it so much. I could see other people looking at it and say, it's okay. It's got her... Her name, her pseudonym, J.D. Robb, huge, big white letters at the top of the book. And then the bottom is the title. And then they've got two different color schemes. The top is, what is that, like a a police shield or something in in red, kind of garish red. Yeah. And at the bottom is like you're looking out of a a high-rise window onto a dirty city, and that's colored in blue. Yeah. And there's some splatter on the white letters of of the book title, Payback and Death. There's some blue splatter on there that... I think the only reason it ended up so low for me is really the colors. I just don't, and I don't like seeing the name of the author quite that big. Yeah, and the images, like the windows looking out of the city behind it, are they're just not very, it was not a win for me. I don't think the two parts of it, the bottom and the top, really go together. So, so that's our third choice. All right. Our second worst cover of the year is Craig Johnson's The Longmire Defense. You want to describe it? Yeah, so it's got a turquoise background with white letters and his name at the top. And then there's sort of like a Western. It looks like kind of a Western movie cover. Yeah, and he writes Western, so and, that's fair. And there's a, it's like a red tinge to all of the sparse mountainous terrain. And there's a cowboy looking down and it says the Longmire Defense. It just, it just doesn't grab It's got me. a Netflix original series sticker in the mm. lower left, but I don't, I don't hold them responsible for that too much. A lot of the book covers are semi-ruined by these stickers that they like to put on. For me, I don't like the turquoise or the red. Yeah. I don't like the lettering. The lettering is very simple and takes up like all the way across the width of the book. And there's just something weird about the image of the cowboy looking down at the ground. It's like, it's too passive. It's, can you tell what he's doing, what yeah. he's looking at there? No, and there is a reflection. So it looks like there might be some water in front of him. But like, if, if it had just been in normal colors, it might have been a compelling image. I don't know. But the way that it looks like, it's just a little garish and cartoonish. I don't like it. So if you're ready, we can reveal our worst cover of the year pick. Okay, do it. It's Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> One of the best-selling books of the year. Yeah. Well, not because of the cover, apparently. Okay. So do you want to describe it? You go ahead. I described the last one. So the background is a detail from the very famous woodblock print called The Great Wave by Hokusai from 1831. So it's a wave kind of crashing over a mountaintop, all covered with snow. And there's some snow in the picture, snowflakes. And then the lettering comes over the top of it for the title. 
and they've got it like how would you describe the lettering it's like it's like they're trying to go for some sort of rainbow effect and some sort of like multiple letter effect it's it's like layers of so the it's like the letters echo themselves into the yes. page and then you've got the colors changing as you move from left to right pink orange yellow blue like a rainbow yeah i know what they're going after they're going after what the 90s video game sure typeset might have looked like which would have been fine and like i don't even have any trouble with the with the image behind it it just the way that they come together it doesn't work the, the, it, it just doesn't work the cover as a whole doesn't work and i For remember me. first of all every time i walked past this book in the bookstore and it was always very prominent because it's been a big big seller i had the same negative reaction that is a not a pleasant book cover <laughs> and my head would sometimes jerk to the left like what's that doing there <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to talk about when we reviewed this book in that episode. And I actually, do you remember that I yeah. went on a rant? Yes, I do remember. And I guess I went a little over the top. So we cut it. Yeah. But I, what I was actually saying was things like, does anybody like this cover? Right. And it, to be fair, when you were going on that rant, we hadn't really looked at it very carefully. So I thought you were maybe being a little harsh, but it turns out you weren't. If I'm any judge of aesthetics, and I may not be, I'll just admit that, I want to say, didn't anybody look at this cover and say, no, like, (laughs) I get the concept, Mm. but a cover design has to be more than concept, it has to actually work. So I'm pretty comfortable with our decision. So moving on, our final award of the episode is for best achievement in cover design. Not the worst. This time it's the best. Yes, this will be fun. Our pick for second runner-up is Luis Alberto Urias' Goodnight Irene with cover design by Lucy Kim. This is our third choice. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And mainly because of the image, not so much the letter design. It's one of those covers where I kind of wish the lettering wasn't so prominent. It's right over the top. It's the painting. Yeah. The painting is beautiful. Do you want to describe it? Yeah, it's, this is, I think it is beautiful. It's oh, it's a, It's looking at the back, sort of the left um, side of a girl's neck and her hair is up. She's got dark hair and there's some like golden splatter or whatever over a little bit of a blue background and she's got like a blue jacket on and it's just, there's like this feeling of... Um, motion and of wanting to know her i don't know anything about this book this is not one we've reviewed but i think it's really a beautiful cover it's so beautiful that i want to keep looking at it but i it's not my first choice for design of the year simply because the lettering for me it it's congruent with the colors of the painting but it is sort of like right over the top of it so moving on our choice for second best cover of the year goes to The Villa by Rachel Hawkins, cover design by Danielle Christopher, a graphic design artist from New Jersey, currently a senior art director at St. Martin's Press. So The Villa, this was not really on our radar. This author, Rachel Hawkins, has a, I think she has a book every year in January. They're they're kind of suspense uh, novels, usually with strong female characters. I actually read the one from last year, which I think it was called Reckless Young Women or Reckless Women, Mm. Reckless Girls. Mm. So it kind of surprised me that this rose to the top. You want to describe the cover? Yeah, this, for whatever reason, this one, I just love this cover. It's got a sort of a blue, deep turquoise background, and it's got yellow lemons and white lemon blossoms. And then there's a crack that runs down Mm. from the center down to the right-hand side of, and it looks very authentic. It looks like it's some sort of fresco or something painted right on some Italian villa wall, which is apparently goes with the name and i just think it's just so beautiful the colors just really work for me 
There's a lot that works in this. I, I The crack is key because this is a suspense novel. The colors are more like pleasing and artistic. So where's the suspense? Well, the crack kind of communicates that. Yeah. The texture of the wall surface is there. Mm-hmm. You can't feel it, but you can see it. Yeah. And the way that the designer, Danielle Christopher, has placed the letters within the art is just perfect. Yeah. And not every book does that. They look often like they're splashed on. Right. This is a whole. This is designed as a whole. Yeah. And it works really, really great. Credit to to that design team at St. Martin's Press for our second favorite cover of the year. Absolutely. And finally, our choice for best cover of the year. Drum roll, please. Out There Screaming, the anthology of new black horror stories edited by Jordan Peele. So this cover was designed by Janae Nichelle Frazier, a Baltimore-located senior designer who teaches at the Maryland Institute College of Art and has designed many book covers. And the jacket art is a new work by American artist Arnold J. Kemp, professor of painting and drawing at the Art Institute of Chicago. So this is our choice for best cover of the year, and we need to describe it. The background is tinfoil, correct? It's what it looks like. And I read that this artist, Arnold J. Kemp, is working with tinfoil lately. So this is not an accident. And what's really cool is you can feel it with your thumb on the cover. Yeah, it's actually a raised, a little bit of a raised texture. And And the artist is also working with masks. So how would you describe the the design of the tinfoil image on the front? Well, the tinfoil is overlaid over a red background so that it looks like there's a a sort of an abstract face coming Mm -hmm. through with red eyes and a big red mouth where all the words of the book titles are inside the mouth of the monster. Yeah, it's um, like a, it's like a monster mask where the eye holes have been torn out of the tinfoil and yeah. the gaping mouth. That's it. There's just three apertures in the tinfoil. They're all red background. And then the letters are placed within that. Definitely very different and very interesting that there's an actual work of art that goes yes, with it. Yes. And I'll, I'll tell you what, when the first time I saw this cover, I'm like, I want to get that book. And it's just like the opening line. If you can have a cover or an opening line that makes you want to read the book, that's a success. This is an amazing cover. This is not the kind of cover that you forget after a year. You remember it. I think it's deserving of the first bestie for best cover of the year. So congratulations to that team. Yeah, and we bought the book. And we bought. <laughs> <laughs> That's the winner. Hopefully, right. the, hopefully the stories will be just as good. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Monday when we present Best of 2023 Part 2, including awards for Best Seller of 2023 and Best Book of 2023. Can't wait. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. Back and forth, man.